This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Performance appraisals, performance reviews, call them what you will, but we all know what they are. Most likely we've received them. Chances are that you might even have happened to give one before. What sort of role do they play? Are they helpful? Do you dread receiving one? Maybe it's worse when you're responsible for giving them to others. Welcome to episode 130, Employee Evaluations. Today's episode is generously brought to you with support from Peterson, manufacturer of pack-clad architectural metal cladding systems. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we are talking about employee evaluations. When I was starting to prepare for this episode, employee evaluations was simply a working title because let's admit, that's pretty boring. And I I have some concern that people are going to see the title of today's show and go out. Straight up punt out (laughs) before they even press play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I actually think this is going to be a really good, valuable episode, but I never came up with a replacement name for the show. Employee evaluations is where I started and it's where I finished. And, you know, I wanted something to be obviously more clever so that people would go, "Mm, I want to hear more about this exciting titled program. Yeah. But maybe just like the actual employee evaluation itself, direct and efficient is the more appropriate course of action. So. Yeah. I don't know if there's any way to say it in any other way because it's simply what it is. Yeah. Like use of rock star slash employee. I mean, there's. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I just, I never could get there. So. Here we are, episode 130, employee evaluations. You know, yeah. <laughs> the hard truth. Yes. Well, there you go. It should have been that, employee evaluations. Broken down. <laughs> so let's start off by saying, Andrew, how many of these have you had to deliver over your years of running your own office? And be honest, did you take them seriously? I don't know how many I had to do. Mm-hmm. But you did them. There's a small firm. Yeah, I did them. But they weren't, I would say they weren't done with regularity, to be honest. Sporadic. Yes, they were sporadic. But I did take them seriously, mainly because the way that I did a lot of them was, it was more of a conversation. I wanted to be able to get feedback from my employees at the same time that I was giving them feedback. So I used them as a way to evaluate myself also. Mm-hmm. Like I would ask them, you know, for example, what's the good stuff about the office? What's the bad stuff about the office? What's the stuff that... Tell me the three favorite things about me that... Yes. <laughs> Not exactly, but I was trying to get a feel for what they felt they were missing in their sure. time in the office. Mm-hmm. And so so I took them seriously. But like I said, being a small office, I didn't probably didn't do them with huge regularity. I don't think there was anybody that was employed in my office longer than a year that didn't get one at some point in their time. But... It wasn't that I was doing them all every January. We're setting up and doing it because in a small office, I might have not had time. We might have been slammed. And so I sure taking that time out to do those. So I did do them and I crafted a form and a, you know, a formula and all that stuff to have. But okay. Well, the reason why I wanted to start off by asking about your experiences to make sure that it wasn't, if it was different from my own experience or was it, you know, just like our data pool here is obviously two people. <laughs> yeah. Because I was thinking, 
the role of the employee evaluation has changed drastically since I went from small firm to big firm. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to remember, I don't think I had an employee evaluation in the first 28 years of the 31 years that I've been yeah. in the field. Yeah. If we did, it wasn't like there was a chart and we circled one through five and your technical mm -hmm. knowledge is a three. And if we did, I've either completely blocked it out of my memory, which would suggest at best, I did not find any value in it. It wasn't very impactful. Yeah. Like if it existed, it didn't move the needle. I don't even remember it happening. Yeah. So, well, I can say in the first seven years of my career before I took over the firm, I don't think I had one then either. I don't remember having one ever in my first seven years before I became an owner. It was like, man. It's got to be because in a small firm, all you're doing is sitting around and going, you get constant and immediate feedback. Feedback. <laughs> yeah. And we have actually had conversations. So our firm is big, but it's not gargantuan. I mean, we are on the small size of, quote unquote, a big firm. Yeah, yeah. Right? So our Dallas office is the biggest one at Boca Powell. And we have about, I don't know, 80-something people there. That's a lot of people. It's not so many that I don't, I mean, I literally know everybody and I know details about every single person. So it's not just a matter of, hey, that guy sits over there. I know where they went to school and I know what kind of car they drive and I know like what sports team. I mean, I, I know these people. And so when we started evaluating certain things and processes and procedures and me getting up to speed with things that are in place to help large firms run a particular way, one of the things that came up is I learned that at big firms, people can kind of disappear. You can get assigned something and go do it. And if you don't raise your hand and say, I'm ready for more. Yeah. Somebody might not be walking over to say, all right, here's your next thing. Mm. They can kind of hide a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that like they're being devious. I don't mean it that way. At least I'm not trying to suggest that that's the only reason why something like that might happen. It could be that they do the work and they're like, okay, well, when they're ready to give me something else, they will. Yeah. Right? Like there's kind of this naivete that's associated with it as opposed to those go-getters that are constantly on the prowl for new things to do. I don't think hide. I would say that they can get lost. There's a difference in hiding and getting lost. And so I think there's the opportunity to get lost where it's not, if you don't speak up, it's not because you don't want to do something, but it's just because you kind of get lost in the mix. Yeah. So I will tell you that my opinion about employee evaluations has changed in the last couple of years. If you had asked me why, and I know that I have this somewhere in my notes, and I'm wondering if I should bring it up now because it feels right to bring it up now. It had to do with, if somebody said, why would you do an employee evaluation? I went, it's a piece of HR paperwork <laughs> that protects them if they have to let you go, that there's some documentation that you are not doing as great as you think you are. <laughs> that's, that was it. Yeah. I don't believe that anymore, by the way. But, yeah, that's a real negative view on them, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's because my perception of the value they brought was so low that I thought it was just procedural as opposed to corrective or informative or beneficial to both the person who's receiving the evaluation and the person who's giving the evaluation. So, Yeah, and I think there's got to be some truth to that about them having value. And there's no way across the board we can say, well, every, every employee evaluation has value. We know that in some places they will have value, in other places they won't. It just depends on the culture of the company or the, the firm or doesn't matter if it's architecture or anything, right? Sometimes they do have value and other times they are very procedural because HR says we have to do this every year with every employee. So it's like, right. 
I think there's a way to approach them that they can be beneficial to both sides. Well, I will tell you, I'd like to think this is a personality trait that I have that I kind of go, if you're going to do something, do it the best you can and make it be of value. So when I started having some kind of ownership of these employee evaluations and I started having to give them, I looked at the paperwork we had and I'm sure whoever put it together was a genius. And at the time this was like, this is the way that you were supposed to have done it. I read it and it didn't make sense to me. In fact, I still feel that way. And we'll get into this later in the show. I'm, I'm redoing the entire thing by myself. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't think this is the way we should do it. Because that's who you are. That's because that's who I am. Yes. And so when I tell you some things that are on there, you'll go, yeah, it is time for someone to reevaluate the process. <laughs> but even with the system we have in place, the sections weren't weighted. Mm. So if we're trying to get like a, Here's our number one employee. Here's our lower quartile, whatever it is. You know, the way you go through that process is you evaluate everybody. Maybe you generate a score as a result of that evaluation. Then you just kind of line up all the scores. Highest score at the top, lowest score at the bottom. Here are the people that we need to pay more attention to because they're underperforming one way or another. So let's show them some love, give them some attention, and see if we can't move them from where they're at to where we want them to be. There was no weight to the responses. So you participating in firm, fun Friday activities had the same value of you being technically proficient at your job, the actual thing we're paying you to do. Mm -hmm. And while I want people to participate in the cultural bonding that is created when you do these fun Friday activities, not everybody is a walk down the hall, high five, let's go kumbaya it up in the break room. Not everybody's that person. And so... Well, and not everybody needs to be. Right. Yeah. We don't need everybody to be that person. Not everybody has to be. Yeah. So let's get into this. Let's try to keep things, at least in the beginning, just to keep them technical. Let's set the table for what happens next. And in my mind, that means, let me define from my perspective what an employee evaluation is and why I think it matters. Just as kicking off the conversation so everybody's sitting at the same table understanding the perspective that we're coming at this from, all right? So an employee evaluation or performance appraisal or performance review, whatever you want to call it, is a process that an organization uses to assess and measure an individual employee's job performance, their contributions, and their overall effectiveness at the things that they are responsible for. And I go, all right, that seems pretty reasonable. Like, I could use that description if you're a bagger at a grocery store, if you're a barista at Starbucks, or you're an architect in the office of Bogopal. That as a definition for evaluating somebody's performance at whatever job they have, that's about as high level as you can get from my perspective. Yeah. To me, I would say the one thing that that, that leaves out is this idea of potential or growth. Well, if, okay. Yeah, but I struggle because I go, now I'm going to say something that on the surface is stupid because growth does figure into this. Yes, I know. But I don't, I don't think it figures into this evaluation enough to where it moves the needle for me. Mm, interesting. If I go like your potential for growth is amazing. So you get points. If I go, your potential for growth is nothing. So you get no consideration from that. Because I go, if you're one year out of school, your potential for growth is amazing. If you're about to retire and you've been killing it for 55 years, yes. your potential for growth is not amazing. And we're going to victimize you for that? Uh, no. I don't like it. I don't like it. I guess I don't think victimize it. And I, I guess that's true. I think it would depend on your station in the company. I mean, at some point, I guess I would think that I would want to evaluate 
or be able to understand someone's potential to grow in the position or grow through that position. But Well, we have something in consideration for that, but as far as a definition, I don't think I need to put mm. growth as a consideration for an employee evaluation in terms of, I mean, I could be missing the mark on that. And I'm sure lots of people are like, you're totally missing the mark on that. So, okay. So let's do this. This assessment process, that just means not the act of me filling out the paperwork, but me sitting in the room across the table from someone who I'm responsible for doing this assessment or this, sure. or this evaluation of. So this process should include looking at setting performance goals, evaluating their progress towards achieving those goals, identifying strengths and areas for improvement, providing feedback, and discussing opportunities for professional development. Ha -ha, there it there is. is. There There's it your is, growth. Yeah. Opportunities for professional development. That is not the same. Like, how do I put a score on the fact that let's discuss? Mm -hmm. It's something that we cover. So the reason why I kind of say, well, all right, let's put a pin in this growth thing, because I think this has to be a strategy. Me sitting across the table from somebody once a year to do all this stuff, I don't think it's very effective, to be honest with you. And honestly, I don't want to do an employee evaluation once a quarter. I think that's too much. So this is a part of an overall strategy that I've been working on since going to Boca Palette, a bigger firm, because I think about this stuff more now than I ever did before. And it's something that syncs the employee evaluation to a mentorship program that we put in place about two years ago, like we formally put it in place about two years ago. And I've brought it up on the podcast before, but I started having these, we just call them check-ins now, but we have mentors and mentees and you get assigned somebody. When we first started it, we wanted somebody that was in leadership to be responsible for checking in on people to make sure they're okay. And part of what sped this process up and kind of greased the skids a bit was coming out of COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and everyone's like, we had a lot of single people sitting in one room apartments for two years. Yeah. And that was hard. And we're like, hey, we ought to, we don't want to give somebody a task and then not check in on them for three days or four days. Just the casual, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Kind of conversations that take place when you're, you're in the office. But because I came from a small firm where these mentee mentorship kind of things took place constantly and they were omnipresent because you sat within six feet of everybody, I started checking in with my direct reports, the people that I was responsible for, for years before we formally put something in place. And they reached out to me, HR reached out to me and said, hey, this thing you're doing with your people seems to be working. So will you turn that into a program? So which is what I did. So I, I turned it into a program to where we started to assign people at the leadership level, people that they're supposed to check in with. Mm -hmm. And we had enough people to where you had between one and like four people. And so that was like what the target is. And apparently I take it so seriously that I have a pretty good reputation at it. And now I have 10 people. I keep getting assigned more people. I got you. Like new people come in or somebody's not doing a good job or their idea of a check-in is, how you doing? Doing great. Nice. See you next month. That sort of thing. Yeah. I don't do that. So we have, our check-ins are a lot different. So I keep getting cast off from people who maybe aren't taking it seriously or just aren't good at it. Like they don't understand it or they don't want to do it or it's just not their skill set to do this. And so I'm getting more and more people. And so this mentorship program, I'm aware that this is an employee evaluation podcast, but this is part of it. All right. This has to be part of it because otherwise the once a year employee evaluation is not as effective as it could be. So, no, go ahead. I think that may tie back to that 
smaller firm thing where there is really constant and very quick feedback in a small firm doesn't make that one year, once a year thing very relevant because I've been in a small office, you are correcting or making those sort of evaluations in the moment that they happen and not waiting till yes six months from now to do it. But you're like, right now, let's do it. Yeah. So maybe that's why they don't happen as much in small firms. Could be a thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they never happen. Until I got to a big firm, they never happened for me in small firms either. Yeah. Of the 10 people that I have some kind of responsibility for, I work directly with four of them. Mm. So six of them, I don't work with. Interesting. Yeah. So that's why I felt like I need to explain, like when we do these check-ins, how do those conversations go? Literally the first thing I say is, how are you doing? Yeah. Like, you know, let's take a moment. Let's catch up. What we don't talk about is, how are you doing on this specific project? Do you like drawing details all day long? How's your project manager mm -hmm. treating you? That is not the kind of things that we talk about. Mm -hmm. What we talk about are things like, how can I help you feel empowered to grow and contribute in a way that suits your interests and your skill set? I want to get you in a position where you're doing the things you want to do, because if you're doing what you want to do, chances are you're going to be doing great. And if you're doing great, we're all doing great. Mm -hmm. So are there things that you need? Are there roadblocks that at my level in the office I can clear for you? My path to talk to the top guy is a path of one. It's a lot shorter than yours, yeah. Yeah, or 0.5. Or in a lot of cases, I can just take care of it myself. Yeah. You need something? Look, I'm the guy. I can take care of that for you. Yeah. And they might have like, I've been out of school for one year, and I've got this person, then that person, they have that person, and they have this person, then there's you. Mm -hmm. So that's why we wanted these mentor check-ins to be done with leadership level people because they're in most of the rooms that the person that we are advocating for mm -hmm. is not. Yeah. So that's part of the reason why these mentor mentee check-ins are so important. I do them once a month. They are booked. They are scheduled mm -hmm. six months out in advance. So it's not casual. It's not like, hey, do you got a couple minutes? Yeah, it's today. Yeah. And they're 30 minutes and I prepare for them and we sit down and we do what's your goals? What are your plans? One of the guys that I have a check-in on and I'm not saying they're not all love fest. Like, I yell at these people <laughs> sometimes. But, but I have a good relationship with all of them. So one of the guys, he came in, and one of his goals was he wanted to get licensed. And I looked at him. Like, I go, man, I'm so disappointed in you. He's like, what? He goes, that's a good goal. And I go, do you think there's a chance that you won't get licensed? Like, is that really a goal? The goal is not for you to get licensed. The goal is for you to get licensed, like, by the end of summer. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Not to get licensed. That's a foregone conclusion. My standard for you is much higher than you getting licensed. Mm -hmm. Like, that's done. That's going to happen. Yeah. Let's make it happen with some effort. Put some velocity to it. Put a timeline to that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Let's get this done. What can we do to get you in a position to take that test sooner? Not, um, I'm going to schedule it sometime in November. I was like, November? That's four months from now. We're not, what? What is in your... Do you have too much workload? Do I need... So that's the goal, right? For me to find out. Yeah. Look, you need to do this. Why can't you do it? And then the other thing is, and this is important, we've talked about this in the mentorship episode. We need to be able to have goals that we can evaluate whether or not we're on the right path. So if I'm not that same person, if I'm not the mentor to my mentee, and we say, all right, what's a Q3 goal that we're going to establish? Because that's part of what I task them with. I give them all homework assignments. And I say, look, I go, I go, what's your goal? And he goes, I want to be design director here at the office. And I go, okay, <laughs> pump the brakes. You're, you've been out of school for four years. 
let's pick let's pick a next quarter goal let's pick a yearly goal let's pick something that we can like work towards and they can all from a summation standpoint build up to that up to you becoming this person yeah but and then i share them that tim mentioned video where he's like being micro ambitious like pick goals that are closer to you rather than these ones that are so far and long that by the time you get there you're about to die and it's meaningless yeah it's actually really funny mm. <laughs> it sounds dark but it's actually pretty funny so we do that. So those check-ins are really important. And it's what helps us determine what should they be doing, what they should be working on. Do we want to move them to a different market sector? Should they work on different projects? Do they want to go a PM path? Do they want to go a project designer path? Do they want to go a project architect path? These are goals that we can establish. So when we get in the room later, do employee evaluations, I have way more information at my fingertips to talk about how are these things coming along? Like, how are you doing mm-hmm. on all these categories? So this is not the first time when they get an evaluation from me that is formalized and it's like scored. That process is unique only because there's a scorecard to it in that one moment. We've been talking about it for the 11 preceding months mm. to that moment. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty important to have it part of an overall execution. Thumbs up, thumbs down to that. I think it's good. So in that process, then everybody's doing the annual reviews for those same people that they mentor, or is it someone different? Not all the time. Yeah. Not all the time. So if for some reason I'm not in that, you know what? And part of me goes, I shouldn't be in the annual review. There's reasons for me not to be there. And if that's the case, like I take notes. Sure. Like I can pull up any one of the people that's my, and I can go, we checked in on this date. These are the things that we talked about. I can share that with the people that are doing reviews because when you get the notification from HR that your annual review is coming up and we try to get it as close to their date of hire, right? So they're constant. It's not like we have like, oh, it's Q1. This is It's every January you do it or something. Yeah. No. Yeah. We do them pretty close to the date of hire. So right now, I mean, I'm in some kind of employee evaluation once or twice every single month Hmm. in some capacity. And if I'm not doing it, part of the form says, who are some additional people you want feedback collected from. So I get people reaching out and saying, hey, I'm about to review Mark Twain. Can you give me some feedback on him? I go, yeah, here you go. Gotcha. And the thing that makes that important is now I'm not just having to rely on what I remember from what we talked about the last time we talked about. I got a year's worth of Mm -hmm. notes that I can go back through and go, well, we talked about this and we fell short and this is an opportunity that they wanted that we haven't been able to provide yet. Those are useful things that make those evaluations way more productive, in my opinion. I can see a benefit actually both ways of either you being the person that does the review or someone else that hasn't been in those meetings to interview to see if that development or those goals being reached are evident as opposed to maybe your bias of thinking, yeah, they're doing great or no, they're not. And somebody else can have a different opinion. Yeah. I could see it going both ways. But I do think that having something like that in place every month, man, sounds crazy to me. That's a lot of time. But at least every other month (laughs) meeting with someone to kind of build that pathway, that idea of. I think that takes the stress off of that annual thing some. It's still going to be stressful, I think, no matter what. But if it's not the first time I've had this process happen in 12 months, yeah, right, you're going to feel a bit better about it, and it's not going to be quite as stressful, I think. Well, there shouldn't be any surprises either. Hopefully, yeah. If you walk into that evaluation, and let's say that I'm your mentor, and you walk into that evaluation, and I'm not one of the people... And here's the other thing. We also have two people in every review. Mm, mm -hmm. So it's like, if I'm evaluating somebody, there's another person who did the exact same thing. So there's three people. There's the person being evaluated and two people who are responsible for delivering or doing the evaluation. And that's kind of important because 
I wanted to move on to the next section. Yeah. And you'll see why. Remember I said of the 10 people I have, only four are direct reports. Mm-hmm. So how do I evaluate the competence of somebody who doesn't actually work for me? I don't see a lot about who they are, what they do from a day-to-day execution standpoint. Mm-hmm. Again, my job in those check-ins is to say, this is your chance to speak directly to someone who can probably help you get something done. If you need something, if I need a clear path, all those things, that's a big part of what that is. Mm-hmm. We want people to have that open door policy and affirm to where there's not as many doors as there are people that are going through them. Right? Yeah, so how yeah, do you gotcha. create the opportunity for people to have those conversations? More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. Andrew and I are joined today by Ken Holler, architectural representative, Northeast U.S. region for Peterson, maker of pack-clad architectural metal cladding systems. Ken has been with Peterson since 2017, and during that time, he's been focused on the exterior envelope. Since 2010, he's held a variety of sales positions in the building materials business, working for manufacturers and building material distributors for over 35 years. Hi, Ken. Thanks for being with us this morning. Hi. Nice to meet you. Where are you coming from this morning? I am coming to you from the beautiful enclave of Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is just out here in the southeast corner of the great state of Pennsylvania. Lovely. Okay, so let's get into this as we are here today to talk about pack clad flush and reveal wall panel systems. I'm familiar with the product. I've actually used it a number of times. But Ken, would you like to kick off? What's the first thing you want people to know? First thing I'd like folks to know about this panel is that this is one of the most versatile products that we make. You can use it in the wall. We can use it on flush. We can use it as the reveal where we make it look more like a Dutch lap type siding. We can use it in soffits. It gives us versatility that maybe no other product we have does. That's awesome. I'm particularly fond of the reveal wall panel systems. I don't know, that reveal always seems to bring a little bit of extra, that shadow line. I love that product. It adds some architectural element. Yeah. So one of the things that you can get on both these systems, both the flush, the reveal joint, is the pencil rib. Will you explain what that is to the people listening? What the pencil rib is, is basically we take and put a small crease in the panel. If it's a 7-inch panel, we'll do one. If it's a 12-inch panel, we'll do two. And what that does, it does a couple of things. Number one, it adds some architectural element to it, adds some dimension to the product. Also, it helps to reduce the possibility of oil canning, which is inherent in all single-skin metal products. We talk about oil canning, mm-hmm. and oil canning is one of those things that I always refer to as it's not cause for a defect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oil canning is not a defect. Yeah. I've had a lot of clients that would disagree. And you have to explain it to them. Right. But the way I explain it is that it's not a defect, but the building owner never likes it. Yeah. So pencil ribs are a great way to mitigate it. So let's talk a little bit about other places. So I know that you can use the panel on walls, both vertically and you can use it horizontally. One of the things that you can use this at is at soffits as well, which is, I mean, I've used it as soffit a lot. It's one of the most popular soffit products that we have. And in particular, what we've started to do lately is to integrate some of the other finishes that we have, some of the wood grain finishes and the ore finishes. It seems to be that soffits are the place where we seem to be using these other finishes. 
they just really pop when you see them as a wood grain soffit. This thing looks fantastic. Yeah, and low maintenance too. Very low maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Ken. So those soffit panels, you can get those vented and non-vented, correct? You can vent them. You can do a full vent. You can do a half vent on the soffit. The 12-inch full vent provides real nice airflow. We do not use a perforated soffit. We use a lance soffit so that you still have all of the color through when you see that venting on it. Well, I know that these wall panel systems come in 46 standard colors, 16 wood grain, and 16 ore finishes. So there's a lot of options available to people like Andrew and myself on what we're trying to do from a design standpoint. And when you start to integrate colors, we use this panel a lot in multiple color locations, as we saw in the, that Ronald McDonald house job. Unlike some other panels that are used in specific locations in specific ways, this panel just gives you so much versatility. And you take all those finishes and start to put in it, there's no end. Let's take a minute and talk about, we mentioned the products that it comes in, and it comes in steel and aluminum. And there's different gauges of metal, depending on which one of those that you choose. But it comes in multiple lengths and widths. But the thing that I think that, like if somebody's walking off and saying, hey, there's one last thing I want you to know. It probably has to do with the optional hidden clips that help you achieve your Miami-Dade wind resistance. You know, one of the things about that clip is we went along for probably in the first five years of my career here at Peterson and hardly sold that clip. That clip has taken off in the last two years, and it gives you some additional wind resistance so you can meet those Miami-Dade standards. You can use the product in a little wider variety. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to say thanks for spending your time with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. For more information, visit pack-clad.com or send an email to info at pac-clad.com or call 1-800-PAC-CLAD. To find your local representative at packclad.com, just click on the rep locator at the top of the website. So in this evaluation, we had all the kind of typical stuff that you would be judged on, but we had a couple categories that were confusing to me. I mean, I know what they meant, but like we had differentiation was a something that you would be evaluated on. And most people would go, I don't really know what that means. Go, I don't know how to score it. I don't know how to rank it. I don't know what that means. How does that manifest into how I did my job or where is that on my job description? Like I'm going to be evaluated on my differentiation. or transparency, integrity, honor, mm -hmm. truthfulness, any of those kind of things. Yeah, I go, those are binary. You either are or you are not. Like, how do I, you can't get a, a needs improvement on honesty. Yeah. I mean, well, you could. <laughs> Let's hope not. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you go like underperforming needs improvement meets job descriptions, exceeds expectations, outstanding. Yeah. Like integrity, you're either outstanding because you are, or you're not meeting expectations because you're not. There's no points in between. So those things are really hard. And if you're trying to look at it and going, all right, well, if we want to identify who the top quarter of our people are, and we kind of work our way down to the bottom quartile of our people, how people do their evaluations, I don't do every single one. I'm responsible for 10 of them or something. So what if somebody grades somebody or evaluates them at a different internal metric than what I do. And I'm really lucky. I mean, I feel blessed. All the people I have are rock stars. 
So these evaluations, these kind of mentor-mentee check-ins, they're hard because these people need to be pushed, right? That They do best when you challenge them. They're there to be challenged. They're not there to coast. None of these people are like, yeah, things are great. Just keep on keeping on. Yeah. None of them are that way. They all want to like, how do I become CEO? <laughs> yeah. You know, they're all those sorts of people. How do I get to own the company? <laughs> yes. So, so when we do these processes, they're hard and I'm hard on these people because they benefit from that sort of thing. And there's data to support that. And I've got that earmarked if we have time to read some of it later. So what I've done is I was like, all right, I'm throwing out our entire evaluation the way we do it now in the garbage, throwing it away. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, do you know how long it's been in place? The one that you're throwing in the trash? Nope. Oh, okay. Do not. Don't know who did it either. So if I walk in a room and go, it's garbage. And then I go, well, I did it. <laughs> you know, I mean. Okay. Yeah. So I need to be a little sensitive, but you know, nobody in my office listens to this podcast anyway. So <laughs> that's not true. A shocking number of people do. Yeah. I was like, I'm right here. You don't need to listen to the yeah, podcast. Just, you can get this all, all day long. <laughs> whenever you want it. That's just, Anytime you want snippets, just roll by my desk. Yes, you can get it. So what I've done is I said, well, let's get rid of these weird intangibles like differentiation and transparency and that kind of stuff. And I came up with, and there might be more, and I might eliminate them, but where I'm at right now is I've broken it into seven categories with one bonus section. So the seven I have are competence, teamwork, dependability. Attitude, communication, quality of work, and innovation or creativity. Haven't decided which word I like better. But we are a design firm, so it seems like creativity should show up on here somewhere. But not everybody has the job. Like that octogenarian person that's in the CA department, that's not their skill set. They figured out that they're not the creative person 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I got to figure out how I'm going to deal with that. And then the bonus section that I have is leadership. and. I feel like before we break down the seven that I just rattled off, I kind of want to tell you why. And then you tell me how crazy or wrong I am or go, yeah, you nailed it. Why I've broken out leadership as a bonus rather than an expectation. So in my humble opinion, which I think is supported by a million books that are out there. So obviously not everybody's cut out to be a leader can't have nothing but shepherds. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some sheep. Sure. It's just kind of how it is. So how to identify those people early on and help provide them with opportunities to grow and develop leadership skills? Like there should be something in place, like some way that you can evaluate and go, yeah, they're starting to show these qualities or these tendencies that lead them towards leadership. I also believe, and I've told this quote a million times, I probably ought to make sure I have it right since I've just baked it into my normal storytelling. Margaret Thatcher, I think, had a quote that basically said, if you have to tell people you're a lady, you're not. <laughs> you know, and I, I kind of feel that way about leadership. Yeah. If you have to call yourself a leader, you're not a leader. Yeah. I generally feel that leadership is bestowed upon you by others. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you go, hey, everybody, heads up, heads up, leader coming through. That's not how that works. So part of my job and the other people who are currently are seen as in leadership positions, part of our job to find those people that are demonstrating those qualities and nurture them and give them opportunities and give them bandwidth to hone and develop those skills. But not everybody wants that. We have one guy, like his favorite thing to do is walk down the hallway, high-fiving everybody, finger-clucking and snapping fingers. And, you know, and we need that kind of person. He is a cheerleader, to be certain. Mm -hmm. Then we also have a guy that just shows up 
puts his head down and just works. He's awesome. Does the work. And he doesn't make mistakes. And, yeah. and he's one of my guys. I mean, one of the guys I have, he's a great employee because there's no drama. He works hard. He doesn't make mistakes. He takes feedback. He builds it into his workflow. I mean, he's great. If he says five words out loud during the day, I'm amazed. I never see him talking. Mm-hmm. And I'll check and I go, how you doing, man? I'm a little worried about you. And he's like, life is awesome. It's just, that's who he is. And you have to let people like that be those people. And you need to not punish them for not being the guy that walks down the hall, finger snapping and clucking and high-fiving. Mm-hmm. I need both those people. So what I've done is all of these seven categories that are rattled off, they'll all be weighted. They'll all have values to them. But I'm making leadership extra because I want to reward the people that they want that additional responsibility and they seek out additional challenges that go above and beyond what we've actually contractually obligated them to do for us. Like, I've hired you to do a job. Mm-hmm. You do it, I pay you. That's the nature of this relationship. And I'm being, of course, we're friends, all that kind of good stuff. But leadership is that thing that you're just that way, and people start to give it to you. And there are people that seek out those opportunities, and they want to be in the front of the room, and they want to run these additional, like we have all those more groups that I've mentioned before. The Matrix of Responsibility Design Group. Yeah. These are extracurricular work-related things. So how do I reward those people? I go, well, these are leadership things. You running a group, that's you demonstrating some leadership. So those are bonus points. So if I said item one through seven, if you got a perfect score, you get 100. But if you have leadership qualities, you might score 120 if you got a perfect score. Or if you're sacrificing one of those things because you're taking on additional leadership responsibilities, maybe your 60 turns into a 75. Your score gets improved because you do these additional leadership things. This is what I'm trying to work through at the moment. So, Yeah, I see that. I'm trying to figure out. And it's I'm hung up on the word reward, honestly. But Well, recognize. Because it sounds like if I'm not doing those things, I mean, the opposite of reward is penalized in a way. And so... I mean, I see where you're coming from with it. I, I'm curious to figure out how that fits into the evaluation as a bonus area and what it does. But I do think that it's definitely right to try to find those people, identify those people that want to fill those roles, and that it's also totally okay if you don't. How do you manage that line, those two things, without, again, totally rewarding one and totally penalizing another? How do you figure it out? Well, that's just it. There is no penalty. There's baseline, which, again, you don't demonstrate any leadership skills, you can get a perfect score. You can get a perfect score. Mm-hmm. If you go above and beyond that, you can get a, think of it's like, it's like AP class, right? Like you get an A in a regular class, you get four points for your A. Yeah. But if you're in an AP class, you get five points for that same A. Yeah. Because it's harder. It's like, there's more to it. Yeah. So you're not being penalized for not taking an AP class because you're still getting that four points. But we're recognizing that there's additional effort that goes into getting that A in an AP class. So you get a benefit to it, but you're not being penalized if you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Which, let's be honest, I guess you guess you could argue, well, yeah, you are. But the average is not everybody gets these points because not everybody, the majority of people don't d- do leadership stuff. Yeah. Like I said, if there's any people in our office, anyone who's going to get like appreciable scores, it might be like 10 or 15 people yeah that are like just killing it in the leadership category Mm -hmm. other people might get like a handful of points from that sort of thing i haven't put the math to it yet i just know that the math exists and i'm trying to figure out if we evaluate people on a scale of 1 to 100 right like 
leadership doesn't figure into the 100. Mm-hmm. But it can help you if you're defeated. Because let's be honest, nobody should be getting 100. No one should be getting a perfect score. This is true. Yeah. But if you're going to get a, a 75 or something and you have some additional leadership responsibilities that you're taking on, well, maybe that 75 becomes an 82 as a result of that. Again, I'm making up math yet because that's what I'm lacking at this point is is that weighted average. Yeah, no, I got you. But I guess the thing, again, I don't disagree with you. The question I have about it is still, if I'm the person that doesn't have leadership skills, but I'm an outstanding employee, when it comes time to start looking at promotions and things like that, it seems like the person that has those extra points is going to be at the top of that list, even though that may not be what's needed. That would be where I'd start to try to figure out how to weight it. Because again, your guy that does work great and does all these good things, but doesn't do leadership stuff, doesn't deserve to not move up just because he doesn't do those things. Because you still need those kind of people to move up and grow in the firm. Sure. Even if it's not in a leadership role. Sure. And so I wonder how those points get used later. Maybe I'm reading too much into it at the point. <laughs> no, no, no. At this point, right? I'm like, oh, too much. But I think that's exactly, I know what you're bringing up is exactly the challenge with any kind of system that you put in place. Because if, oh, of course, yeah. For easy math, if I say I have 100 employees and I go, this person got the highest score, so they're employee number one, one being the best and 100 being the one that needs the most work or whatever. Mm-hmm. The expectation would be, I have a chunk that's at the very tippy top, like these are the highest performing people we have in the office. Then I'm going to have a big chunk in the middle of people that are they're not awesome, but they're great. And then it's going to go down to, they're just regular good people. We need them. They're fantastic. Yep. We'll have a place here for as long as they're willing to stay here. Yep. And then as you work down that list, you're going to go, maybe it's a bad fit. Maybe these people down at the bottom, we're failing them or they're failing us. So there's a disconnect. Maybe this is just not where they need to be. And we need to pay attention to find out what do we have to do here. Yeah. What are we dealing with? That standard bell curve. Pretty typical. That's exactly what it is. We talk about it all the time in academics. Yeah. Yeah. It's everything. So part of it is that since not everybody has leadership qualities, I would imagine, at least from my perspective, it's desirable. Like It's kind of like you want to try to find those people because not everybody has them. So it makes sense to me that the people that might be at the top are the people that are demonstrating not only that they're good at their jobs, mm-hmm. they're not only they good at the things they've been tasked with doing, but they have these additional qualities that make them more of a diamond. These are all kinds of broken analogies here. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason why they're up at the top. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. And I, I'm about to say something that might get me in trouble. I've heard this before, and I'm, I, I haven't been able to articulate in a way that doesn't make me sound like a colossal jerk. <laughs> Let's go. This is going to be good. <laughs> I know. You're like, you, you're like this, is the, this is the best part of the show. Like, some jobs are just harder than other jobs. <laughs> I used to work for a guy, and he used to say, hey, my wife ranked her entire group, and guess who the highest ranking employee was? It was her admin. And I go, what? That sounds like there's something wrong with that ranking system. Because you know what? I'm not going to say it's not hard to be an admin, but it's certainly got to be a lot harder to do brain surgery and the stress that's going on with that than the person that books the appointment to do the brain surgery. Yeah. Again, not making light of it. I'm just saying it's not the same thing. So if you don't have some kind of disruptors in there to where you can evaluate the people that come into the office and they do hard jobs, stressful jobs, things that require them to do things that not everybody can do or it's harder to find people that can do them, and recognize that there's a difference between that and someone who's just making sure that everyone else's lives run smoother, then I think that the evaluation system needs to be reevaluated. Again, 
that's why I don't want to punish those people, like the admin who's amazing. I don't want to punish them for not having these leadership things. But I want to reward the people that go, look, your job is difficult and you're taking on all these additional responsibilities. There's got to be some way to differentiate one from the other. Mm -hmm. That makes me a jerk. Then the way I've articulated it is what I'll go, you know what, I'll take it. I haven't learned how to articulate what I'm trying to work through. I would be hard pressed to accept an argument that suggests that my basis is incorrect. The fallacy is how I'm explaining it. Like, I just don't know if I'm, that sounds super cocky. (laughs) You know, I'm struggling with this a bit. I'm trying to think of how to do it. It kind of comes down to a a responsibility level or a a risk level of of what you're doing. Somehow that has to factor into the point system. What a mistake at that level will cost. Sure. (laughs) Something like that. Again, I don't know how to phrase it either. It's a level of responsibility maybe, and maybe there's a way to pointillize that idea. Well, some of that's already addressed with the fact that the harder and and more complicated and whatever those jobs are, those people are compensated at a different level than someone who has a responsibility that does not have any kind of true yeah. damage decision making error paths yeah. in their day. Yeah. So that certainly is one way you go, oh well, harder and more difficult and the fewer people that can do a certain task, they get compensated at a higher level. There's gotta be a way to say or at least recognize that those people get that sort of benefit for doing a hard job well better than someone doing a less challenging job well. Mm-hmm. How you articulate that so you don't sound like a complete a-hole is definitely what I'm failing at at the moment. <laughs> so anyway, so there's part of that. And of the seven things that put it, I don't expect anybody to remember seven words in a row while listening to a podcast, but so they'll be in the blog and I'll elaborate on those. But of the competence and the teamwork and dependability and attitude and communication quality work, Innovation or creativity, TBD. Mm. So what I've got is I've also broken those areas down. And this is where a lot of the heavy lifting still has to happen, quite honestly. And that is, for example, under competence, what sort of subcategories should somebody put? Well, you know, let's do an easier one. Attitude. (laughs) Attitude's an easy one. We all can understand attitude. So if I go, all right, contributes to a positive workplace environment. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a reasonable consideration. Sure. Part of a solution, not contributing to the problem. There you go. Who de-escalates issues as opposed to just that person who's always throwing that additional log on the fire? Yeah, firing it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consistent attitude towards decision making. You know, seeks out ways to get involved. We kind of talked about that at the top of the show. That kind of talks to your attitude. Sure. So there's ways we can go through this. And what I'm really trying to do is to break this down in a way to where the likelihood that You use this form when you're evaluating someone, and I use this form when someone's evaluating it, and we're going to get some consistent scoring that's out of it, not wildly different interpretations, which I think it comes with for something like differentiation or evaluating somebody on their integrity. Yeah. If I pointalize this system, and I go, well, you either are or you aren't, so do I give you an outstanding, or do I just give you, yeah, you're doing what you're doing. Are you honest or not? Yeah. Yes. And if we say that there's those five categories, which we're saying, like, whatever the worst one is, and needs improvement, meets job requirements, exceeds job requirements, and outstanding, so there's five. Yeah. If I just stupidly say, the way we did it now, because I told you that I put a weighted system before, Mm -hmm. and it was on a 50-point scale. And I go, nobody understands a 50-point scale, right? If I say, Andrew, you scored a 35, you're like, I don't know what a 35 means. 70, but yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's not. No, that's just it because it's going to be obviously the bigger the point scale, the more the value is going to. So it's not just going to double. Yeah. So your thirty-five might be in a seventy-nine or something. Mm. So it allows me not only more room to separate the wheat and from the chaff. Yeah. Separate top from the bottom, but it also allows me to give additional weight to certain categories. So now instead of it being those five rankings, like you get one point, two points, three points, four and five, mm-hmm. it could be a meets high, meets low. So each one of those categories, like the lowest, you get one point for meets low and you get two points for a meets high. And then you move up to the next category and you're like needs improvement three, needs improvement high, that's a four. Meets job requirements is a five, meets job requirements high. Like you're just about to, like you're almost to that next category. See where this is yeah. going? No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Five and six, six, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of in mind that maybe I don't have a five-point scale for each one of these. Maybe it's only a a yes, a no, and a amazing. Like you're either outstanding, yeah. you're yes, and it's a no. Make it more binary. And I realize that three is not binary, but you know what I mean? So we can try to find some consistency across the 40 people that are evaluating the other 100 or whatever that case may be. Yeah, because it does get difficult, I think, that 10-point system like you were describing where it is there's a, a yes high and a yes low. We do that in evaluating sort of portfolios and stuff that come through the university and students for applications and whatever. And there's such a wide, wide variety. That's We do get those wild. Somebody gave it a one and somebody gave it a nine. And it's like, yeah. ooh. That gets tough. So that three-part binary system you described actually makes that easier because there's less possible variation. It's either a yes or no or a whatever. Yeah. But I don't know. Hey, we also know, and based on your example you just gave, well, somebody gave it a one and some gave it a nine. There are people that are in our leadership group that have a reputation for being softies. Mm-hmm. We're like, yeah, this person always grades their people. It's outstanding. So since I wrote it, yeah, I would send out an email and I go, look, everybody. This is what this is supposed to mean. Yeah. The idea is that if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're meets expectations. If you're exceeds expectations, that should be the indicator that we're not challenging you enough. And maybe it's time for you to be up for a promotion to the next job. Mm -hmm. You're already doing more than you're supposed to be doing for our expectation level for what this role requires. So maybe we need to promote you. Maybe we need to give you more difficult tasks. If you've got an outstanding, and this is one of those like, Almost nobody should get an outstanding because that means that we have wildly underestimated your abilities. Uh, underutilized you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I go, maybe your name should be on the front of the building. Like if you're so outstanding, like and we're so dumb that we can't, we didn't put you in the right job. Yeah, exactly. So I have to describe that. And then I'll tell you, some guy I just reviewed gave himself all outstandings. And I was like, are you taking this seriously? Are you saying there's no room for improvement with your five years out of school? And I destroyed him. Now, he wasn't unhappy because I explained. I go, look, this is how it's supposed to work. So let's redo this together. Together, yes, we yes, did it. Yes. And he understood it. That's kind of who he is. And he was a little tongue-in-cheek about the whole thing. So that's that process. There's going to be math to it. And I'm telling you, when it's done, it's going to be amazing. I should be able to sell it when it's done. The amount of time I've spent on this is profound, Andrew. I cannot. Mm, yeah. It's been <laughs> years. I've been working on this thing for years. So there's all these different categories that I have, and they'll all have points, and they'll all be weighted at some point. It could be that, well, clearly, there's only seven so far. Maybe it'll only stay at seven with that one leadership bonus, mm-hmm. right? So clearly, each category won't be worth 10 points. 
And here's the other thing. This is another thing that I think makes this useful. In the old one, you could get a needs improvement one time. I could be judging you across 25 different things because uh-huh. there's like five things in each five major categories. Yeah. What if you get a needs improvement in one thing and the other 24 are great? What's going to happen to you? Absolutely nothing. We're like, well, you're killing it everywhere else, so let's do better on this next one. The system that I'm trying to put in place will have an aggregate score. Like, it'll be a real time, like, hey, when we're done, you ended up with a this. And then we should be able to say, if you score below this point on the whole, on the entirety of this review, if you score a 60 or below, we're going to put you on a performance improvement plan. That should reflect a couple different things, not just that we think you're a bum. (laughs) That's not the point of this. The point is to go, if we don't put some kind of corrective action in place, again, I think we're failing you. Our goal is to find out, like, why are you scoring a 60 or below? Is there indifference? Is there inability? Am I evaluating at a job that you're not suited to do? You know, the whole, am I evaluating on the ability of this fish to climb this tree? Yeah. That's not the fish's fault. That's my fault for asking the fish to climb a tree. Maybe I just need to move you somewhere else. So that's what those moments are supposed to be. So if you have on the aggregate, on the whole, if you score below a certain point, then we're like, we're going to put a plan in place. And the goal of that plan is to figure out what we need to do, where we need to improve, how we can get you from where you're at to where we think you should be. Because ideally, you'll be happier. Because if you're scoring this low, there's some kind of struggles happening. Mm -hmm. Either you don't want to be here, like you don't like it, and that's why you're scoring low, or your job is taxing you in a way that is making you score low. So let's do something about this. Let's help. So the performance improvement plan just has like a negative connotation to it. And it really shouldn't. It should be a, look, this set off something that tells us we have some work to do and let's do it. The other system, that wouldn't happen. Like how many needs improvement out of 25 do you have to get before somebody goes, well, there's something here. Is it four? Is it eight? Mm -hmm. If it's the majority, I mean, we got something else maybe we got to deal with. So I think that that also gives you the opportunity to have a conversation about that and even determine that maybe it's just not a great fit. They don't like anything about what's going on. Yeah. And not that you get fired, but it's like, okay, well, then maybe you should start trying to find somewhere else to work if this is so bad. We're not meeting your expectations either as a person that works here. Yes. So. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, it's funny. I have this section in my notes because I'm going to have to give this presentation to all the bigwigs at my office. Mm. All the people, there's probably at least 15 people that are going to say, I want to have an opinion about this. They don't want to do it. Oh, yeah. They just want to, they want to evaluate it. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. So the paperwork I've put together is a deliverable. It's like I've written a white paper on the thing. Mm -hmm. Everyone makes fun of me because everyone, I'll go, fun fact. And then I'll say some kind of thing about it. And they're like, that wasn't a fun fact. Or... (laughs) That was, there was nothing fun. That was just a fact. It wasn't fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a fact. So, so now I'm leaning into that. Everything's a fun fact. Mm. So literally in this package I'm putting together, there's a section called fun facts. And the first one starts off, Harvard Business Review study states that, you know, like, it, you know, it's not going to be a fun fact, but yeah, you know what? Maybe this one is. So here's a fun fact for you. When we were talking about these performance improvement plans and evaluating people and giving them scores and like this needs improvement, like this is at the bottom end or whatever the case may be, this white paper that got put out there said most managers don't want to give negative or corrective is, I guess, the more uh, PC way to phrase it now, corrective feedback. They don't want to give corrective feedback because it's hard, it's difficult, it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But 
what they found is 57% of employees prefer corrective feedback, which is significantly higher than the 43% who say they prefer only praise and recognition as part of their feedback. And then there's a little asterisk that kind of said it's worth highlighting that no one in the study said that they didn't want any feedback. So there's no dispute that these evaluations are valued by people going through it. It's just like almost half of them go, just tell me how great I am and let's high five and call it a day. But then 57% say, I want you to tell me what I'm not doing that I should be doing better, which is really interesting. Here's what's interesting. So then they went back and they assigned it to in percentages from lowest performing people to the highest performing people. And maybe you would not be surprised to learn that the bottom 10% is the group that wants corrective feedback the least. They just want praise, mm-hmm. the, the bottom 10%. The top 10%, the highest group that wants corrective feedback. So they've broken into the bottom 10, the next 25%, the middle 30%, the next 25%, and the top 10%. Guess what? Every group, as it ascends to your highest performers, the percentage that wanted corrective feedback increases. So your best people and all the people that are migrating towards becoming your best people They want corrective feedback the most. Yeah. I mean, essentially, the easy way to phrase that would be that they want to know how to improve. Yeah. They want to know how to improve what they're doing. And of course, to me, that translates directly into being better at what you're doing when you want to know how to improve what you're doing. But yeah, that is interesting that you've got the data to back it up now. Well, they they wrote a truth fact, a truth fact. Yeah. (laughs) Not a fun fact. Truth. fact. Yes, that is a truth fact. So it says 92% of respondents agreed with the assertion that negative, parentheses, redirecting feedback, if delivered appropriately, which that's a bit of a wild card, Mm -hmm. but if delivered appropriately, negative feedback is effective at improving performance. 92% believe Hmm. corrective feedback is effective at improving performance. And in this regard... The report says, we find it telling that the people who find it difficult and stressful to deliver negative feedback were also significantly less willing to receive it themselves. Yeah. Fun fact. That is a fun fact right there. Yeah. On the other hand, those who rated their managers at highly effective at providing them with honest, straightforward feedback tended to score significantly higher on their preference for receiving corrective feedback. Easy pattern to discern here. Yeah. Easy. This is easy for us to understand. And it has to do with like, why is it important when you do this to not just tell people they're great and high five and call it a day? You should really try to find a way to get everybody from where they're at in a position to grow and improve and be better and get them where they need to be. That's all part of what this process is supposed to be. All right. We've been at this a long time. I could keep going, by the way, because like I said, I've been researching and working on this for a long time, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'll put more of this information in the blog post. I'll start writing it now, actually. Because you know what? I do want feedback. I guess I'm one of those great managers. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so I'll put it out there. And if people have an opinion, they want to weigh in, happy to have that happen. So we'll call this episode, at least the direct, not fun fact portion, done. And we'll move on to the fun part of today's show, if you agree with that. Yeah, no, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So Andrew and I, neither one of us have thought about this. So this truly is, you know, hold on, sidebar note, you can leave this in because I've been getting a lot of feedback about it. The hot dog finger question that we asked in the last two episodes ago, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Which I think was focus. Yeah. Focus was the topic. 128. Yeah. I've gotten so much feedback on that question. First off, people are like, you guys are losing your mind with these questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, so I'm getting a lot of that, but they say they, they loved it as a discussion. They loved it. And the number of people that have come up to have their own version of answering that question to me yeah. has been not literally a million, but a lot of people. That's funny. They're like, they're like, I want to get into this. Like when you chop your hot dog finger off, like how far removed from the hand do you need to be so that you don't feel it, right? So you're always going to have a little bit of hot dog on your finger, <laughs> on your hand. Like, I mean, people are drilling into it. And I've had to explain. That's so funny. They'll go, the question's really weird. And I'll go, well, you do realize that this is a exercise in creative thinking. Yeah. So the more strange and bizarre the question is, the less likely you're going to bring some prepackaged conception of how to answer that question to the mix. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of, you can see the light bulb going off a little bit, that it's not just a goofy exercise, but there actually might be some value to it. Yeah. So to that end. I think we managed to get kind of deep in that hot dog conversation, <laughs> right? We went a little bit deep into the ins and outs of what hot dog fingers would actually be. So. Yeah. But anyway. That was a good one. So in contrast, Andrew and I came up, we kind of worked out today's hypothetical literally moments before we hit record. So. We haven't really thought about it, so you're going to see some critical thinking skills on display, like in real time, all right? Let's hope. Let's hope. So the question, the hypothetical we're going to tackle for today is, would you rather, I guess it's a would you rather, there you go, would you rather have a job that you find completely unfulfilling, but you are well compensated, or a job that you love, but can barely make ends meet? Right. There's a couple words in that question that are important to kind of lean in on. So one is the job where you're well compensated. We're not putting a dollar amount to it because that could be offensive. I might pick a number of people go, man, I need way less to be. <laughs> to feel wet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to accept this. So we're not going to set that number. I'm not going to set a number. We're just saying, you know what? Whatever you need for you to hit that moment where you say, yeah, I'm well compensated. That, so there's that. You're afforded a comfortable lifestyle. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah sure. whatever. Yeah. Whatever that means to you, just pick that number. But your job is completely unfulfilling. And the alternative is you love that job. You love your job. But you can barely make ends meet. Important part there is you're making ends meet, but barely. So we're not saying that you're having to choose between a job you don't like and living in luxury versus a job you love and you're living in a cardboard box under a bridge. We're not trying to go to these extremes. Mm -hmm. We're not saying that your unfulfilling job gives you this luxurious, I bought my own island level of compensation. Yeah, You're well compensated. You can do the things that you want to do. And I'm assuming the things you want to do doesn't include owning a private island. Buying an island <laughs> and seven yachts. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And you having a job that you love but barely making ends meet, that means like, I, I can live somewhere. I got air conditioning or heat or whatever that is, but it doesn't mean that, oh, in the spring, I'm going to go to France and in the summer, I'm going to go here and then I'm going to go skiing in the Alps. That's not what we're talking about either. We're saying you have a reasonable life. You can make your obligations, but it's hard. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's some stress probably associated with that. All right. Yeah. So here's another consideration for you as part of our setting up the parameters. Because this has to figure into it. How close are you to calling it quits? Yeah. I don't mean living. <laughs> I don't mean death. I just mean the workforce. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right? So because I'm in my mid-50s, you're in your mid-40s. So I'm closer to that moment of going, 
well, if I'm having a job, I'm well compensated, but I only have like 10 or 15 more years of doing that. Like I might answer that question differently than if I was 25 years old and I'm like, uh, I got 45 years in front of me of doing something that is completely unfulfilling. Yeah. You know, I think you might answer that question differently. Possibly, possibly. Or what if I don't have my financial house in order and at 55 years old, am I going to choose something that makes me happy, but I can barely make my ends meet? That might mean when I retire, I will be living under a bridge in a box. Yeah. I don't know. There's some considerations to how old you are when you choose an answer to a question like this, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think so. To me, one of the other first things that popped in my head was time. And not in the way that you just mentioned, but are we going to go on the assumption that both of them require the same amount of time for me? It's 40 hours a week or it's 50 hours a week or whatever, right? Because to me, the if it's an unfulfilling job and it's 50 hours a week versus a job that I love that's 40 hours a week or vice versa, that might have some impact on where I fall a little bit. And the reason I say that is because if they're both just straight up 40 hours a week, then my mind tends to think, well, if I'm well compensated, that gives me a little bit more to do in my free time. I'm not buying an island, but I'm going to get to travel or do a little bit more, have some financial freedom allowed by that that makes up for the fact that whatever my mundane job is or unfulfilling job is that this category falls into, that I can use that to overcome. Sure. As opposed to if I really love it, but I'm barely making ends meet and I don't have any free time. What are you going to do with your free time if you don't have any money well, either? No, right? I, know. I mean, like, Yeah, but I guess I don't disagree with that. I guess if I love it, though, it's not going to increase my, it's not going to change anything. It's just going to be more of doing what I love. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. So when you ask that question, in my brain, if it's an unfulfilling job, I tend to sign that with, there's no ramifications to me being good at it. Mm -hmm. If it's unfulfilling. Sure. Like, let's say that I... I love all my baristas out there, but I go, what if I just, I make coffee all day? That's what I do. That's my job. I would find that job unfulfilling. Doesn't mean I would hate it, right? I'd maybe really like working with these people. You know, I, I can still have meaningful relationships and enjoy my time, but it's not going to feed my soul. I'm not going to go home at the end of the day and go, man, I killed that latte today. I was really, my latte game was strong. Yeah. Ooh, I really want to get, like, I, it's just, my brain doesn't get there. Yeah. So when I think about from a time standpoint, I tend to think that the unfulfilling job is probably a straight 40 type of job mm -hmm. for me, for me. Yeah. And the job that I love is probably at least a 40 hour job, if not more, because the things yeah. that I assign to a job that I love, like let's say now I love being an architect. I spend way more than 40 hours a week doing, doing that job. Yeah, I get that. And I mean, that's kind of the way I was thinking about it as well that the unfulfilling job is straight up 40 or even less. The other thing about it to me that I think about it is that if it's unfulfilling, one of the benefits though is it's I'm not bringing it home. I feel like, yes. you know, yes. when you love it, kind of never really off of it. You're always thinking about work, even when you're not at work. Mm -hmm. And I guess we're getting to this after the experiences of my life and getting to the point that there's a really large pull to just have a job. Yeah. And not have to bring it home. Yes. Be like, that's fine. I'm going to make good money. And when I come home, you know what? I don't think about work until I got to get up and go back tomorrow. The only thing I think is I might dread it if I felt it was unfulfilling, right? Like that, I might, oh, I got to go to work. That kind of thing, which I don't think would be mm -hmm. great. I would not enjoy that over the long haul, but. That would be tough. I will tell you, I used to work for a guy, and this was probably in the early 2000s. And whenever he had a bad day or there was a client that was, particularly frustrating 
he would tell me how much his dream job was bagging groceries. Yeah. And for him, it wasn't because he's like, you know what? I can take some pride and like, I really bagged them well. Like I didn't put eggs at the bottom of the bag. We had a lot of conversations. Maybe this is where this kind of creative problem thinking these stupid questions came into it. Yeah. So he's like, I can be good at it. How much can I put in this plastic bag rather than one item per bag baloney that you get sometimes? Mm -hmm. And so for him, he's like, I can be good at it. I can challenge myself to be better at it. In his mind, stress-free job. It's a stress-free job. All the stress that's coming in is whatever stress I put on myself. And he goes, when I'm done, I'm done. I'm not walking home, laying in bed thinking, man, I really, I messed up on that bag number eight today. Like, you know, that one person, I did a terrible job. I put the tomatoes at the bottom. Why did I do that? Yeah. He goes, I get paid. I leave. I don't have to worry about it. He goes, dream job. That was his dream job. And it was 100% related to stress and having to deal with other people. <laughs> and now as I've gotten older, I go, man, I'm pretty sure those people that bag groceries, they got to deal with a lot of people going, hey, they'll put that at the bottom yeah. or group my frozen stuff together. Like, I'm sure that they get a lot of feedback. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Right. In the moment. And it's yeah. correct. Well, it is corrective feedback, but it is definitely <laughs> negative feedback. <laughs> yes, it's not correct. <laughs> this relates to my idea of the retirement stuff of like saying, well, I just want to go on a beach and rent scooters or because it's a non-stressful environment i'm not taking it home with me so there's a part of me right now and i'm leaning towards i would say that i would have a unfulfilling job and be well compensated although i'm not sure oh i came to that conclusion immediately yes unfulfilling <laughs> job well compensated done <laughs> done easy easy for me i'm like 51 49 on it to be quite honest but mm. this is an easy one for me and part of it's uh, because you're so close to the end not, i mean I, I love my job I mean, I'm getting to the point, and you know this, we've talked about this sort of thing all the time. I mean, yeah, I work a lot at the office, and there's stress a lot of times that's associated with the responsibilities mm -hmm. that I have at the office, which I'm not complaining about it, but it's it's I don't leave that stuff at the door. It takes a toll. Yeah. It takes a toll. And then even preparing for today's show. So when we're trying to think about what topics do we want to cover, I fell back on an old pattern I used to have when I was writing a lot of blog posts. I go, well, what am I actually doing? Like my job, can I talk about something I'm actually doing at my job right now and use that to inform what a podcast topic might end up being? Yeah. So we had a different one penciled in for today and we scratched it because I didn't have the time to prepare for it. And here it is. It's Saturday morning. I was up at seven o'clock writing the run sheet to make sure that I had some organization to our thoughts so we could start down one path and actually finish that path. And then we jump on the call at 10 o'clock, yeah. record for an hour and a half. Most people, this is not how they spend their Saturday mornings. Saturday time. Yeah. yeah at, yes. Yeah, for sure. Yes. We wouldn't be doing this if we were talking about bagging groceries or making coffee, I doubt. No, I wouldn't do it. You know what? I've started to use your example of rent scooters mm -hmm. in like an island location. I'm starting to go, <laughs> that's starting to sound great yeah. to me. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to steal. It's going to be, oh. you and me, we're going to go get a job at the same time. It's going to be like, hey, we're going right. to be a day yeah. shift. And you know what? We're going to kill it. Like, I show yeah. up on time. Like, I'll get the morning hours covered. Andrew can get the later hours covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's not like I wouldn't do my best at whatever that unfulfilling job is because that's just not who I am. But it would be nice to just, once I walk out the door, all of that stuff is still in there and I'm not bringing it home. That would be really nice. Yeah. Yes. We'll go like, hey, hang out at the beach? Yes. Yes. Then we'll go to the bar? Yes. Awesome. That'd be, that's it. That's it. Done. 
I go, well, you know what? I need the job that I love because it's probably the only thing that's keeping me from like becoming an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm like, I can't be drinking all the time. Yeah. I'm worried that if I had a beach job, I go, I'm like, what else is there to do? <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Yeah, but Pina Coladas, you know, it's okay. I'd probably like put together some kind of coalition for turtle or <laughs> getting plastic out of the ocean. Like, yeah. I, I uh, mean, I, I feel like I, I would never just lean into uh, the unfulfilling yeah. job. I'd, I'd fill my time up probably. So, okay. All right. There you go. So you're barely, barely on the unfulfilling, but well compensated. Yeah. I'm completely all in on the unfulfilling, well compensated. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Give me a few more years. Maybe I'll be where you are. Not that far behind. The percentages will move. <laughs> All right. Yes. I'm telling you, they will move. <laughs> All right. I think we've reached the point where I'm going to call today's show a wrap. Thank you for being with us for episode 130, Employee Evaluations. Special thanks to our sponsor, Peterson, who manufactures pack clad architectural metal cladding systems. Visit pac-clad.com to learn more. Special thanks also to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? We're available on all major podcast platforms, so hit that subscribe button and you'll get notified every two weeks when we publish a valuable new episode. And while you're there, please take a few moments and leave us a five-star corrective feedback rating. To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this analytical episode and all the website has to offer. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>